This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI Senior Writer Al Castle. Hoping you had a very Merry Christmas and uh, are about to have a wonderful uh, New Year. Uh, I expect this is the last episode of the PWI Podcast for 2021. So uh, absolutely want to thank everybody for another year of uh, listening and supporting the podcast. And uh, very much hoping you have a terrific 2022. Uh, lots to get to on this episode. In a moment, going to be joined by my co-host, Brian Solomon, and also uh, back on the show from WrestleDomics, Brandon Thurston. And if Brandon's on, it's because we're going to be talking some business. And uh, yes, we're going to be kind of looking back in the year in business for uh, AEW and WWE, and certainly also dissecting some uh, current events that have some big business ramifications for WWE, uh, including their most recent uh, holiday house show here in Madison Square Garden. It's one of the big highlights of the year I was able to attend and uh, was frankly surprised by what a small crowd it was. Uh, We talk a bit about maybe some of the reasons behind that. And another thing that was very apparent uh, on that house show and may be apparent uh, this weekend is the latest impact of COVID on WWE, which... um, led to a big uh, shakeup in the lineup of the house show and uh, some concerns about um, the uh, pay-per-view coming up on January 1st. Uh, so we talk about just generally uh, this, this latest wave of COVID and, and what it might mean to WWE and uh, look back on uh, their year, some challenges for WWE, but on the other hand, uh, a record year for profits. And Brandon kind of talks about the two and, and reconciles how it is that in, in some respects, WWE. Uh, interest in WWE could be as low as I can remember in, in uh, certainly recent memory. And on the other hand, they're reporting these record profits. Uh, so Brandon's uh, always great with that stuff. Uh, he's going to join us in a bit. And uh, we'll also look ahead a little bit to 2022 and talk a bit about this time next year where we expect things to be for both WWE, uh, AEW, who we expect maybe some of uh, the bigger names um, in both companies uh, to be. And uh, what, if anything, will come from WWE's uh, overhaul of its developmental system and its pipeline to uh, create and bring stars up to its main roster. So a fun discussion. We went very long, so that's that's kind of a sort of a one topic, many topics within that one topic, uh, but that's the show, and it's uh, absolutely fun, especially if you're kind of a a business wonk. And and again, Brandon's so great at this. He he looks at numbers and dissects them like uh, I think nobody else can. So um, rather than speculating, you know, there's one discussion about uh, who the biggest star in wrestling is, and um, Brian and I both share our thoughts, and Brandon kind of gives the objective, uh, quantifiable answer uh, to that, uh, looking at some business metrics, so uh, stay tuned uh, for that. Uh, Before we get to that, uh, let me tell you about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling uh, Illustrated, still available on newsstands. It is the February 2022 issue with WWE champion Big E on the cover uh, inside the magazine, uh, we've got uh, Righteous Reg's hot seat interview with uh, Big E. We still hope to uh, uh, include, feature the auto here, audio of that interview here in uh, probably the next episode, so uh, stay tuned. Uh, but there's so much more uh, in this issue. The second annual 
PWI Tag Team 50 uh, ranking of the top 50 tag teams in all of wrestling uh, and uh, a lot more. There is a feature that Brian put together about the exodus of talent from other companies to AEW, and he kind of gives his take on whether they were better off where they were or in their new home of AEW. And uh, obviously this includes stars like CM Punk and Daniel Bryan, uh, but also maybe some folks that, that you forgot about what their past was. Um, like uh, Lance Archer, Andrade, some others. So uh, definitely worth uh, a read. Um, Kevin, our very own uh, editor-in-chief, Kevin McElvaney, has got a fun feature he put together about Josh Barnett's Bloodsport, looking at uh, that promotion. We've got features uh, in here about um, Alex Hammerstone, the new MLW champion, and uh, Candice Cordillo-Smith was there when he won the title, and she looks at that. Um, we've got a feature on the now former uh, stardom world champion, uh, Utami Hayashishida. She just lost the title um, over the last couple of days. Uh, and uh, Walter Yates uh, talked to her and put together a feature on her and so much more. One really fun thing that we did here I haven't talked about is uh, dig up uh, a story I wrote, I think, 10 or 11 years ago uh, about a match between uh, Brian Danielson and Shingo, the, the reigning IWGP uh, heavyweight champion. This was, I think, in, in the little break between when um, Brian uh, Danielson was hired by WWE and then released, uh, you might remember, over that whole necktie incident. incident. And in that little bit of time, uh, he did a, a match with Shingo, I think for Dragon Gate uh, at the time, uh, Dragon Gate USA. And uh, it was Super duper dark match, uh, couldn't be released on uh, DVD, couldn't be streamed uh, as much as there was streaming back then. So unless you were in the building, um, you didn't see that match, with one exception, and, and that was me. I forget how I got to see it. I think they they gave us a DVD or something that was kind of for our, our, our eyes only, and I got to put together kind of my... Um, play-by-play uh, play on the match. So a uh, historic match, one that, again, very few people have seen. And uh, we look back on an article I wrote about that uh, 10 years ago. So uh, a really fun issue. The next one coming out is the year in wrestling with all the awards. Uh, you definitely don't want to miss that one. So what you want to do absolutely is go to pwi-online.com and subscribe. Did you miss somebody uh, for Christmas? Um, this is uh, still a great gift for anyone. Get them sub subscription comes straight to their mailbox every month. Uh, you could do a digital subscription that um, comes even faster. Both are a great value, half off the cover price. Uh, we are still going strong more than 40 years uh, after we first published, and uh, we got a, a lot more planned for 2022. So please go to pwi-online.com and subscribe. Uh, all right, uh, joined now by my co-host, Brian Tomlin. How's it going, Brian? Pretty good, Al. How about you? Good, good. Hope you had a Merry Christmas, you and yours. Yeah, we we may do, you know, some uh, interesting times now with these with this like Omicron explosion and everything going on. But uh, we made it as best as we could. Yes. And uh, it's a good jumping off point. Uh, joining us also, Brandon Thurston from Russellnomics. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, COVID and Omicron and uh, just generally the, this latest impact. I mean, this is nuts that we're, we're even still talking um, COVID now coming up on, on 2022. Anyway, Brandon, thank you for joining us. Thanks to, for having me on again. It's uh, I think we, we talked about one year ago because I'll never forget. It was January 6th when uh, well, we, I think we talked this time in between that. But yeah, it's yeah. Almost like an annual yeah. update here. 
I, I thought we would have moved on from this. Every uh, time we have you on, Brandon, there's like some national crisis going on. I, I don't know yeah. if there's a connection. Yeah. Well, there's no shortage of those. <laughs> yes, that's these true. Days. Uh, anyhow, I mean, I think uh, a jumping off point, you know, one of um, the traditions of the holiday season uh, for me and my family being in, in New York is uh, right after Christmas, we go see WWE. I mean, usually it's in the garden. Uh, they, they run this annual show. It's a tradition. It's supposed to be one of the, if not the biggest house show uh, of the year. And uh, I went, they obviously didn't do it last year because of the pandemic. They did do it this year. And I was trying to rack my brain uh, for when I remember this small uh, a crowd at, at Madison Square Garden. And I don't know if it's ever, but I think it's easily 25, 20. I mean, pre-attitude era. I think you'd have was- to go. I'm guessing it was 6,000 fans, something like that. Yeah, Yeah. because I remember there would be like back in, say, like 93, 94, like that, like really low period, you'd get like three or four thousand. So maybe like since then, since that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, the days of like Tatanka headlining uh, Undertaker. I was at the infamous Undertaker versus Nails main event at Madison Square Garden, which I think was about three or four thousand people. It was that was where they just took everybody from the top and just brought them down around the ring because it was so sad. Right. And the thing to do back then. Russell Tix has the MSG show is six thousand eight hundred and thirty eight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and and some amount of those I mentioned comps. So, yeah, the actual gate would be even smaller uh, than that. Uh, so that's part of the story that I wanted to talk about. And there's all kinds of factors for, for why that is. We'll get into that. The other part of it is, is what that card was, which was nothing like uh, advertised. You know, they advertised a uh, essentially a double main event, both cage matches, Becky Lynch versus Bianca Belair and a triple threat with uh, Biggie, Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens. And we got no Bianca Belair. No Becky Lynch, no Seth Rollins, and no Big E, um, and a few others uh, were not on the card, and there's all kinds of reasons for that. Um, but sort of, let, let's let's take a step back from that, and and Brandon, I'll just ask you, uh, kind of where where are things now? Are are how serious is this uh, latest wave of COVID, and are we potentially looking at a return to the Thunderdome in the coming weeks? I would be surprised if if events are rolled back in any real way in the U.S., uh, whether that's right or wrong. I, I think my ex- expectation is that the U.S. just doesn't have the patience to put things back to where they were. Uh, and as, as Brian and I were talking about, or, or maybe it was after you came on, uh, Al, that even though cases in, in my area, I, cases are at an all-time high for COVID, uh, but people are vaccinated and deaths are not as high. Uh, and a lot of the restrictions are being rolled back also. And maybe the Omicron variant is not quite as deadly, is not causing as many hospitalizations. But but in any any case, I, I don't think we're going to see WWE decide to go back to the Thunderdome. Uh, I think they're going to they're gonna have to make some adjustments. We've seen them cancel their house show that they had or postpone their house show that they had planned in uh, Toronto. Maybe some other Canada events have been affected also. Um, but I think they're going to try to stay doing what they're doing as long as possible. And they just, uh, Fightful just had the report that they're going to stop testing or they have stopped testing. I don't know what the latest is on, on AEW. I think AEW, uh, may not be testing. Also, I've asked a couple people from, from AEW. I've not heard back. So that makes me think that 
they're not testing anymore. So yeah, I, I, I just don't think that the U S is going to stop events to bring things back to where they were in, uh, you know, the spring of 2020 or throughout 2020. Yeah, I, I wouldn't think so either, in part because you, um, you, you've got states that uh, pretty clearly are insistent on, on staying open. So if anything, you're always going to find some friendly states where, where you can run a show. Even, I mean, here in New York, uh, we're certainly not at a shutdown, but like, you know, Radio City Music Hall has canceled their shows. Certain Broadway shows uh, have gone dark again. So, uh, but Madison, you know, the Knicks are still playing in MSG. So, uh, but who knows, but, but there, there will always, I would think be uh, states where you can run uh, live events. Um, Brian, th- this whole bit about testing and it's, it's kind of this double-edged sword. It kind of almost r- reminds me of our, our former president and, and this whole notion of, well, the more you test, the more you're going to get cases. So maybe we shouldn't test. Um, and the, the difference here, not in defense of that philosophy at all, but the difference here is that most people are vaccinated. I imagine most of the is vaccinated. So it is true that a positive test doesn't quite mean what, what it did in most cases uh, a year ago. So how, how do you feel about that? Because I imagine part of, of what happened at Madison Square Garden, and I think some concern that WWE has going into the pay-per-view uh, day one this Saturday is we're getting all these positives and, um, you know, there's reports of, of a wave of, of COVID in WWE right now. Uh, but maybe the way they see it is like, well, once we we know that somebody's positive, we can't put them on. But the reality is that they're basically fine. I imagine a lot of these cases, they're asymptomatic. We, we saw the video of Seth Rollins, who I think basically has said he's got COVID um, and looks fine. You know, it's quarantining. There, there, there's no sign that, that he's uh, particularly ill. So, uh, does, does that maybe make some sense? Let's maybe pull back on the testing. Well, you got to remember that whole attitude of, I mean, this is a wrestling podcast, not a political yes. podcast, <laughs> but the attitude behind that is really just a concern, not for public health, but a concern for numbers, statistics, and an image. So the idea is being like, if we don't know about it, then we don't have the numbers, then it looks better. Never mind that people are actually catching it and getting sick and maybe dying. Most important thing is that it not look bad, right? And that we not have this awful number in front of us. So I, so in my opinion, that that's an, a terrible way to operate a country or a company. But what's happening right now, it seems to be, and like Brandon said, we were chatting about this before, it's like this weird kind of now we're in a denial phase, which in the stages of grief, you would think denial would come a lot earlier than this. But now, now we're in the denial phase where it's like cases are exploding. And I don't know. Look, I, I'm a I'm a listen to the scientist kind of guy, so I don't want to be a hypocrite here. But the CDC now is bizarrely rolling back restrictions instead of you would think they'd be making things stricter that there was just a decree yesterday the day before where they're like shortening quarantine times they are now saying that pcr tests are not um the be all end all they used to be because they can show false positives for two weeks out so they're like casting doubt on pcr tests and their and how how you know mandatory they should be so it's just this weird time where it almost seems like, and to speak to kind of what Brandon had said, where America, for one way or reason or another, and for bad or worse, has just made their peace with this of just like, screw it, and let's just live our lives. And I mean, I'm personally not comfortable with that. I'm not saying that's my view, 
But that seems to be the prevailing view where it's like, oh, you know, because when this first thing started opening up again with Omicron and cases skyrocketing, my first thought was like, oh, wow, like, are they going to go back to a lockdown? And my immediate thought after that was there is no way on earth that the American public as a whole would would go for that. I, I think you'd have Armageddon. And I'm, I'm not even exaggerating. I think you would have armageddon on your hands if you tried to lock down the whole country again at this point and i think they've just given up uh, i think that's where we're at and wwe is, an, is a reflection of that they were just waiting for that you know i mean they they were <laughs> they didn't give they didn't give a damn when it first started the only reason that they did anything was because of public pressure and and kind of outside forces and you know vince mcmahon's attitude seemed to be you know like like this is not going to affect me or change way, the way i run my business in any way so they were sort of just waiting for this moment to just be like, we're going to do whatever we want because no one is going to stop us anymore. And I think that's where we're at right now. That That's where we're at. I, I think the the one big difference um, from now and whatever, let's say this time uh, last year or even earlier uh, in the pandemic, when there were reports that WWE wasn't doing enough to um, but it, the, the protocols weren't in, in place. The the difference now is vaccines, I think. And I think that's really the difference in, in the entire country. And um, we don't know how much of the WWE roster is uh, vaccinated. Uh, it, if it mirrors the country and, and maybe even more than that, because they are in a line of work where it, uh, I don't want to say it's especially important, but them not being vaccinated has all kinds of ramifications on on their their business, their ability to travel. So I think it's a fair assumption that most of the WWE roster, no, take that for for whatever. Does that mean 51 percent? Does that mean 80 percent? But um, I think it's a fair assumption that most of the WWE roster is vaccinated. And I think that that goes to um, in, in part why there is less of a concern about this Omicron variant, which um, seems to be particularly contagious. And so, yes, absolutely kind of spreading like wildfire fire right now. But as Brandon t- touched on, it doesn't appear to be um, as as deadly, uh, as severe. So the the testing part does get tricky because the reality is um, I uh, and you're hearing all the time, even even vaccinated people, even people who are being super duper careful or, or somehow testing positive. It speaks to how contagious this is. The reality is, if you tested the entire WWE roster, you would find a lot of them, I would think, um, would test positive. And if that's the case, even the Thunderdome doesn't fix things right. I mean, th- this would necessitate almost a complete shutdown. Right. Because at any given time, you'd have a lot of your roster um, testing positive, and how do you put on uh, a show that way? Uh, so, I, I'm certainly not defending them, but I, but I do think it's a, it's a little tricky, a little more uh, complicated. Uh, uh, Brandon, I mean, is is there kind of best practices here on 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 what to do in this situation when you're an entertainment company, a, a, a live touring, you know, entertainment company, and uh, the reality is, even with protocols in place, you're going to get positives. And as happened with Madison Square Garden um, last week, it it really turns your entire card upside down. I mean, I, w- I would defer to epidemiologists about what the best things to do are as far as keeping people safe. We've seen the NFL. I think they've rolled back their testing policies. They're not testing everyone who is vaccinated anymore. I, I imagine maybe they looked at, you know, well, the NFL is not doing it. Why should we? 
Um, but I'm sure they don't want to go back to any kind of Thunderdome. Even, Thunderdome was very expensive. Um, running at the PC saved them a lot of money. But Thunderdome and the PC coincided with a, a really sharp downtime in their ratings. Now, their ratings are, are the, the larger span of time you look at, the more likely it is that you're going to find their ratings going down. But not having live fans there hurt their ratings. And I'm sure they don't want to have to go through that again, uh, especially with we're now about to enter a year 2022 where they're probably going to start to have meetings with their current and maybe potential TV partners to talk about a, a TV rights deal for 2024 and forward. And and because of that, I mean, it makes me it, it's so clear that that's got to be the priority. So I almost wonder if it doesn't make uh, a more sense right now just to shut down all your house shows. Uh, maybe go to a much reduced taping schedule where uh, you're you're maybe taping. I even wonder if it makes sense to go back kind of the old days of the early '90s where you taped a month's worth of TV in in a night or two. Um, so W was doing, by the way. So that's not that antiquated of a practice. They were like lumping tapings together for a while there in the beginning, right? Just to minimize uh, of exposure and and all that. Uh, the, the flip side of that, and I remember WWE running into this in the early 90s uh, and mid 90s, is you um, you tape a, a month's worth of, of television and somewhere along the way, whether it's COVID or whatever else, there's a change and it's hard to pivot because you've got the rest of uh, your TV already taped. I remember uh, in, in your house, International Incident, when the Warrior was supposed to headline the show uh, in a six man and um, got fired somewhere in the middle of it. And they still had several weeks of TV building up to his uh, involvement in, in the main event. Uh, so, so that's another part of this that I want to touch on. Um, so as I said, I mean, the card at, at the Garden was completely different than advertised. And there's uh, some reporting that it, uh, and this would certainly make sense, that it, it wasn't just that some folks tested positive for COVID, but it was also pulling them to protect the pay-per-view um, this coming uh, uh, Saturday. And that really didn't sit well with me, you know, uh, because protect up until them. the day of the show, they were advertising uh, a, yeah. a certain lineup, knowing that it wasn't going to happen. So uh, am, I, am I wrong there? I mean, I get, uh, Brian, a card subject to change, but is, is that a bit much? Right. Well, card subject to change is that perfect caveat they've always used so they could do whatever they want. Right. And all promoters. But when you say protect them, do you mean protect them from injury or protect them from potentially catching COVID before? the? I think more the latter. I mean, I think it, the thought is we can't have Biggie. And it happened at, a, at a, a Florida house show as well. Roman Reigns was pulled. We need our headliners to be available for Saturday. So we need right. to essentially keep them in a bubble. Yeah, I also think part of the the reason maybe for that show, and I know it's been a tradition for quite a number of years now, is I just think, you know, people talk about this a lot, but like wrestling at on big holidays or near big holidays, it used to be a very big deal, right? Everybody knows in the old days, like 60s, 70s, 80s, early 90s, they would always be big shows on sometimes even on Thanksgiving, on Christmas Day. It was like an it was like an event. You had the holiday dinner with your family, and then that night you went to the wrestling show. I mean, even Survivor Series grew out of that. I mean, it started that way. That practice, and I guess there's a lot of reasons behind it, but it's been shown that somewhere around the 90s, maybe pre-attitude era into the 
that just fell out of fashion. People just didn't want to do that anymore. They didn't want the holidays was just a time to be home with your family. And I don't even just mean on the day, but even just like the week of, it's just sort of like, it's hard to get people out to wrestling. It's harder than it used to be. I think that garden Christmas show, which they, they didn't do it when I was a kid. I don't know when they, maybe. No. Yeah. I think it's the last 10 years or or so. Right. I think it was just like an anomaly. It was an exception to the rule. And I think just the, the rule caught up to it where it's, it's just hard to motivate people these days to go to live wrestling around around the holidays. Uh, I, and I, I think that's part of it, at least part of it. Except that their crowds, and, and, and Brandon, you can talk about this, their crowds haven't been good anywhere, right? So the, the, the 6,000 in Madison Square Garden isn't really that much of an anomaly, right? I mean, w- we saw when um, they played the UBS arena here, the new arena in New York, uh, within a week of AEW, how they were outsold. I forgot it was, two to one, three to one. Uh, so... You, you can't just blame uh, the holidays, right? But these are all factors. I, I, I imagine COVID is a factor in that there are still some people who are uneasy about being in, in large groups. But w- what's your sense, Brandon, of uh, why WWE attendance is where it is and you know how much of it is COVID, how much of it is, is any other factor, and how much of it is it just that they're, they're, you know, WWE's drawing power is down? I think it's most of that W's drawing power is not, yeah. not that strong. They they had a really good few months in the first few months of the return of the return to touring, where they they sold out their first event in Houston for a SmackDown. They sold they sold well for the Money in the Bank pay per view, um, but now we're you know after about three months of that, and and they reported in, in Q three, which is July, August, September, they reported their highest average attendance as far back as I, I, I think we even have that, that number going back to like the early 2000s. That might even include WrestleMania quarters. They did really well on an average attendance basis. Um, but now we're seeing uh, AEW come really close to them in terms of average attendance. They'll be still running way more shows. They're running house shows. AEW's not running hardly any house shows. Um, and they're running two t- TV tapings a week uh, and, a, and a pay-per-view every month. Uh, AEW's running one TV taping in most weeks. So the volume for WWE is way higher. The volume for AEW is way lower, but they're getting pretty close in terms of average attendance. Um, when it comes to Madison Square Garden, though, in just the last, let's see, from September to January 5th, which is next year, in those four months or so, there's going to, to have been seven TV tapings, one pay-per-view, and one house show in the, in the I guess we might call it like the tri-state area yeah. between New York City Newark, New Jersey, the Queens show that uh, that happened at Arthur Ashe Stadium, Barclays Center, UBS, the two shows at the UBS Arena, the MSG uh, house show, and the SmackDown taping, and then they're going. Uh, AEW is going to do the Prudential Center again in January. So there's a lot happening in that mm-hmm. market. You could argue that, that that well, that market's just being exhausted with too many shows, and that's part of it. And that may that may well be part of it. Um, but we're seeing throughout the country, WWE's attendance is weakened as the return to, to touring gets further away from them. I've also wondered if, if ticket prices have something to do with it. Do you have, do you have a sense of that? Where WWE ticket prices are relative to AEW ticket prices? I think they're, they're not far away. Um, I would imagine house show ticket prices are lower than TV taping ticket prices, but we're seeing about $55, which is about what it was right before the pandemic. You, you expect pay-per-view prices to be higher, but uh, I don't get the sense that their ticket prices are that far apart. 
Yeah. Yeah. AEW is also coming to Bridgeport in February. Um, right. I that's kind of, yeah. I think it's going to be their Connecticut debut. It's literally like 10 miles down the highway from Titan Tower. And I, I got tickets to that and I noticed and that they were surprisingly low in price. And I'm wondering if it was that they want to be absolutely sure that they pack the place being where it's located. I was able to get tickets right off the floor, like 100 sections for $30, which I can't remember for a major show since I was in college by getting tickets at that price. Of course, with uh, handling fees and other stupid things they add on, it was about $8 million, but the actual <laughs> ticket itself for the seat was $30. And I thought that was, I thought I was reading it wrong or something, but I, I heard I about it. It, it. it looked like maybe that was an error, like a, a, a glitch <laughs> in the, in the ticket master. Cause I think they changed it. A, a few people got away with getting really cheap floor tickets. But I, I did. <laughs> it's not yeah. floor, but it's like right off the floor. But okay. still like, I mean, I remember like Madison square garden, hundred section tickets off the floor. That price range would be like 25 years ago. So it was, that was shocking to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it speaks to, uh, you know, th- there's some some economic just some wrestleomics involved here. Right. As far as the, yeah, how much the 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 the, um, the value of a uh, a strong gate in terms of the, the, the revenue that comes in from tickets versus the value of having a packed arena on television. Right. So you've got to figure uh, that out. And I think in AW's case, right, in WWE's backyard. Uh, it's especially important that that place, and it's not a particularly big arena, the, the Bridgeport Arena. No, it's uh, not. It, it, yeah, it's it, it's really important that the place looks packed, right? I would yeah. think. Yeah, and it will. I mean, yeah, as far as I I believe it's sold out, or at least the tickets that have gone on sale are sold out. Um, yeah, but, I, I but, think it's a small place. I mean, it's like, it's smaller than Nassau Coliseum. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a cool so, venue. Yeah. Webster yeah. Bank yeah. Arena is what it's called. Just yeah, give me I, some some real data on uh, average ticket price. So if I'm looking at t- ten, this is uh, data from Polestar, which keeps data of all sorts of live events, including wrestling. But I've got they've got ten events for AEW, and if I divide what they report for tickets sold by what they report for the gross gate for ten events, their average ticket price is fifty three dollars, and f- across twenty five events for WWE. And now remember, that's all different event types, whether it's house show, TV or pay-per-view, I've got 25 events for WWE with an average ticket price of 55. So I get WWE 55, AEW 53. That's pretty close. So, yeah, yeah, it's close. I, th- I think it's an interesting point you made about sort of burnout. And clearly there was like this sort of pent-up demand uh, after not being able to see live wrestling for whatever it was, 18 months. Um, I've, you know, I think, think you said there were seven shows. I've probably gone to six of those in, in the, the New York area. Uh, and yeah, I mean, maybe it's getting to the point that it's like, all right, that's about enough. You know, I, we, we could take a, a, a month or two off. Um, but I, I remember it was uh, maybe this time two years ago that there was some discussion of WWE shutting down house shows altogether, even pre-pandemic, because um, the the economics didn't make sense for them, right? I mean, at, at, at some point, you know, the, the drop in house show tenants has been, goes back some years, right, Brandon? And, and I remember... Um, there was a conference call with Vince McMahon years ago where this came up and he said something, something to the effect of, 
you know, we know what the problem is. You know, we, we've we've identified what the problem is, and we're gonna we know how to fix it. And this is a couple of years later, and being at this house show on on Sunday night in Madison Square Garden, I was still thinking about that, and I'm like, what was this fix? Because this house show looks exactly like the ones I uh, went to a few years. I mean, maybe a little more production value, a big screen, that kind of thing, but it's uh, it's basically the same uh, a production value. So. Is it getting to the the time? And, and they certainly think so. But but at some point, does it make sense to just stop it with the house shows? I mean, is is uh, is it essentially not worth what they're making? I, I I do remember that call before the. It was probably a year, maybe six months before the pandemic that mm-hmm. there would be a, a reimagining of of their live events business because their live events business. They report it in quarters. We don't get any grant any more granular than that. Their live events business in the years or in the, in the quarters that they don't have WrestleMania since probably 2018 have been money losing quarters for live events. They're f- super profitable in their media division, which is where they make the vast majority of their of their revenue. Uh, but their live events division loses money, and that means that probably most of their live events are losing money. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I, I've thought that it doesn't make a ton of sense to do live events that aren't being, uh, that aren't being monetized through some form of, of media, some form of video TV. When you do TV, yeah. obviously that's, that's, that's giving them in the U S alone, something like $5 million per episode between Raw and SmackDown. Uh, when you do a pay-per-view that's being monetized through Peacock and through the W network and somewhat through pay-per-view still, uh, but live events. Yeah, you're getting to sell some merchandise. Even I've I've done the math. Even when you, you you stack the merchandise money on top of it, it's probably not profitable. Still, there's some value that's hidden in it. You get to promote your W product in a, in a market and make memories that last a lifetime with with some people in attendance. And maybe you you earn some loyalty with with fans through that. There's value in giving. Your wrestlers, especially wrestlers who are who are younger and who you see as future stars, uh, giving them experience and making them better performers. I think that's a huge challenge for their developmental right now. People in NXT is they have no place to to get experience other than on TV right now. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's something that AEW doesn't do. They're being very careful and they don't have the massive revenue sources that WWE does, and they clearly calculate that it's not worth it to do. Uh, untelevised events, unless it's they, they've done a couple at um, Daly's place, just because it was convenient to do so, because they already had other events scheduled on on, on the, the next day, uh, on, on the nearby day. Yeah, I, I've wondered why they they don't do more with the house shows, especially something like a Madison Square Garden house show. And uh, a couple of years back, they did do the odd uh, network special off of a house show. I remember they called one or two Starcade, right? And uh, they had a couple of these garden shows that they showed at least a portion of uh, the network. They they haven't done that in a while. I d- I don't know whether where the money is in that right because I mean I guess it it potentially gives more value to the subscriber and and potentially drives up some subscriptions. But isn't it the case now that you know the folks who are going to get Peacock for WWE? are getting it for WrestleMania. They're getting it for SummerSlam. They're getting it for Royal Rumble. So whether or not you throw in an extra documentary or an extra televised house show in the, in the macro, it doesn't really make a difference. Right. 
if people aren't watching it, sure. I mean, like the, the one big thing that we've seen change this year, to my eye especially, but it's probably been happening even before Peacock. Uh, you see a ton of commercials during yeah. their pay per view events, which is you know, e- even if it's not attracting subscribers, you could say, well, if if people are watching this content, we can put ads in front of them and and earn, earn ad revenue that way. Uh, but if people aren't watching it and, not, and only they know what the numbers are for things like the Starcade house show that they put on the W network, but if people aren't watching, it's not adding that much value and all, all that's weighed against, well, how much does it cost us to, to create media from this and to put this on uh, Peacock? So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think the, the Starcade, uh, the use of Starcade, I think it partially it's, it's an experiment maybe that they wanted to do. I wonder too, if it was not a response to AEW using, uh, other brands like Bash the Beach. Have they used Bash of the Beach? And, they had um, their own take on it. I don't think they could, they could use it, but they, they, they tried to. Yeah. They yeah. got shut down. I They've think used, what other WCW pay-per-view names have they used? NXT I don't know that they, I mean, WWE, WWE uses Halloween Havoc and Great yeah. American Bash on the NXT shows. Yeah. They're doing they're doing Battle of the Belts, which yes. was a championship wrestling from Florida supercard mm-hmm. name from the 80s, yeah. which goes to show. I mean, those are some great shows, but <laughs> it goes to show you that they're reaching because they're just like, oh, my God, we can't use any of these names because uh, Cody had this idea in his head that just because his daddy thought of it, that he had the right to use it. And that turned out not to be the case because he wanted to be able to use things like. Halloween Havoc and uh, Great American Bash and things. War that, Games, I think they wanted right, to. War Games, that, that became Blood and Guts. Things yeah. that his father had come up with, but they were now the intellectual property of WWE. And so they almost were like, well, what don't they own? What classic <laughs> names of shows? And I know Battle of the Belts was one. I know they have coming up, uh, but um, they've they've tried it a couple of times to yeah. do that or some kind of play off of it. They've they've tried to do. You know, Vince McMahon isn't using belts, so they were they were no. safe. That. <laughs> battle of the titles doesn't battle doesn't, of the battle, championships, <laughs> battle of the blank. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh, let's kind of take a step back and and sort of big picture. We're here at the end of uh, 2021, uh, and you know we're we're talking business, but but at the end of the day, that's kind of what it, it everything is, right? I mean, that's why why they all run wrestling shows, whether it's a pay-per-view or TV show or a house show is, is to make money. And uh, in, in that sense, you really could take a lot away from 2021. And here at, at the end of 2021, um, I think it's clear WWE struggled a lot, right? I mean, uh, NXT decisively lost to AEW on Wednesday nights. They, they pulled it off uh, Wednesday nights. They overhauled it. Um, it, it, doesn't seem to be doing much better or, or actually uh, worse. Uh, as we talked about, how show business is down. Ratings are way, way down. Um, on on the other side, AW by all accounts, had a very strong year. Their, their nam- numbers have mostly held up. They expanded to uh, a second show and now really two networks on TBS and TNT. Uh, live crowds have, have uh, done pretty well. So, uh, Brian, you know, uh, big picture, what is the story of 2021? Is it the the year where AEW really kind of solidified solidified itself as, you know, it was sort of an up and comer, but still only what three years old for for a couple of years. Uh, but is this the year where they really arrived as we are big league and maybe in some ways more big league than WWE? And is it a year where it is is this? It, it's hard to say WWE's 
worst year in a year where I think they might have, you know, made record profits. So I guess it's all how you look at it. So, but what's your takeaway of, of 2021? I, I think there's a, a really strong chance that we look back on it as uh, assuming that AEW continues to be a success, that we look on it as the turning point year, um, the year where they broke through as at least competition that needs to be taken seriously. Now, there were people who thought that even from the beginning, from word go, just based on who was behind it and how it got put together and they had TV and all that. But I think this was the year where it went from bravado on, let's say, Vince McMahon's part in the beginning to say, well, I don't even care about them. I don't know who they are and what they're doing. It went from bravado to if you're still saying that now, then you're foolish. Then you're just if you're saying it and meaning it, then I question your business acumen because of this year. This was the year where they became undeniable, where it was like, acknowledge me, right? Not to steal something from Roman, <laughs> but acknowledge me. We are your competition, whether you like it or not. And you want to pretend like we're not here and we're not doing the same thing you're doing because sleep is your competition or whatever you want to say, right? What Nick Khan's famous line, um, we are the competition. So I think this was the year that that happened. Uh, um, it was the, a lot of factors, but I also, think this has been a gradual thing it's been a gradual process um so that's why i also think we may see in the next year or two things take place which make us think that which make this past year seem like nothing uh but in any event it'll still it'll it should still be seen as the beginning of a turning point of some kind i would say yeah yeah uh uh, brandon uh economically is it the case and I know, again, this is all sort of relative and, and you got to look at it through different lenses and apples to apples and all that stuff. But but in terms of expectations, did AEW have a better year uh, financially than WWE did? In terms of revenue, certainly not. Well, no, of- <laughs> I mean, in, in terms of of uh, and, and I guess the question is whose expectations, but for a a. Uh, this this company uh, that that is just the, the the biggest name in all of sports entertainment and wrestling that's been around for fifty plus years. What their expectations are publicly traded multi billion dollar company versus a startup, right? Yeah. That is still what three three uh, years old. Uh, did who's who's got more reason to brag in at the end of twenty twenty one? I think. I think maybe what we want to talk about is like the trajectory, like who's on the upswing, sure. who's on the downswing. Momentum, like momentum I'm has, thinking. Yeah. I think, I think WWE, despite its financial success for sort of external reasons, right? fortunately for them, they're in this, they find themselves in a situation where live, live sports, their sports like enough, uh, have benefited them tremendously and, and have grown their USTV rights tremendously. And all that money is guaranteed. And uh, the Peacock deal is made and that money's guaranteed. So they're doing great financially, more profitable than ever. They'll report in February, probably their most profitable year ever. Then the year after that, 2022 will probably break that record uh, just because the the contracts under which they're paid for TV and for Peacock right. are just going to escalate. And that's that's the way they're, that they're written, just no matter what their TV viewership is. Um, but WWE, that aside, WWE has been on the downswing, in my view, since... Roughly 2017, each year, uh, we saw their their ticket sales go down, their merchandise sales go down, and their W Network direct consumer service stagnate. We've seen uh, in 2019 and 2020, their, their TV ratings for Raw 
uh, do worse than, than that of cable overall. Uh, their licensing revenue went down from 2017 forward. Now maybe things are starting to stabilize in some of those areas. Uh, maybe partly that's what Nikon is there to do besides negotiate very favorable media rights deals for them. Um, but AEW is doing impressively for a company that's just started three years ago. I, I think this past year, you could really summarize a lot of it in, in terms of saying it's the year of the cons, of Nick Con, yeah. of Tony Con, no relation. Uh, <laughs> in that, you know, Tony Con's AEW, they won the NXT war, which came to an end by April. Uh, he signed Punk and Brian in August and September. They had a really successful pay-per-view uh, in September, all out, over, what was it, 200,000 pay-per-view buys. Um, there was even in early September, they beat Raw in the demo in the same week. Uh, just I know despite just Raw went against Monday Night Football, or went against college football, actually, in, in the first week, and then went against the first week of Monday Night Football in the second. Uh, there was even that, uh, that one Friday it, where uh, SmackDown was preempted to FS1, and for 30 minutes, we had the Friday Night War. That uh, In those 30 minutes, AEW can say they won those 30 minutes. Um, so AEW further solidified its, its spot as a valuable property in the media ecosystem overall to Turner. And, uh, and I think Nick asserted his, his influence in WWE by making the Peacock deal, uh, by putting out that pay-per-view schedule where now we're, we're going to see on Saturday is, you know, these pay-per-views happening more so on Saturday because he believes that there's an opening there. There's no other sports events or at least not enough sports events happening that we can really capitalize on this opening in the calendar and small things like NFTs and, uh, the trading card deal that they made, uh, with Panini, uh, the, the different approach that they're taking to talents. I think you know, Paul Avec is one, one of the big losers coming out of this year yeah. in that his, his vision has been, you know, round, roundly dismissed by, by Vince McMahon uh, and NXT has been totally made over. And this notion that they're going to go after independent wrestlers or, or, or talent with wrestling experience from outside of WWE, uh, they probably still will to an extent, but, but to a much lesser extent. And they're focusing now on what they call the it's not the name, image, and likeness program, but the next in line program where they're right. going to essentially sponsor a number of college athletes for the hope that maybe they turn into people that they train and turn into into major talents for them later. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in some ways, um, they they've got to be thrilled with with Nikon's performance um, so far because he has he has propped up these financials so much, um, but clearly WWE is more. And, and he has said this, right? They're they're more in the mode of um, doing business and listening to any pitch and what have you got? And uh, you want us to have zombies around the ring? Sure, we'll do that. You want us to have feature a gold egg uh, on our pay per view and a whole storyline about a golden Pizza. egg? Sure, yes. we'll do that. So so that's kind of what what Nikon has. Uh, and it's not to minimize it because yeah, that's all revenue, and they're in, they're in the business of making money and and good for them. But but Brian, I mean, it it, it strikes me that some of this, um, it, it, it's kind of a mixed blessing in, in that uh, it is potentially disguising uh, a, a lot of their weaknesses. So, so here we are talking about, well, they don't have any uh, stars that can draw. And one thing that jumped up in me uh, when, when you said uh, 2017 is where kind of things uh, started turning is, if, if I recall correctly, that's around the time where they pivoted off of John Cena as their their top star and they got kind of moved more to you know roman reigns and we know now john cena was a draw a a, a big big draw and i think 
the more we we move away from that, I think there's a m- much more of an appreciation for what how big a star John Cena uh, was. But again, like all these metrics, well, TV uh, ratings are some of the worst in in history, and they're only getting six thousand people in Madison Square Garden, and they don't have uh, any uh, uh, you know major. T- I, I'd argue the biggest stars in wrestling are in AEW right now, and yet as as Brandon talked about. Record profits this year, probably record profits uh, next year. So how do you reconcile those? I mean, is, is Nick Khan a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I, I think <clears throat> that it's the kind of thing where, again, I'm, I'm no expert in this area, but it seems to me like those kind of things all kind of declining and going down despite revenue going staying up and all that. That would be the kind of thing that would start to become an issue once things eventually need to be renewed, because uh, you're not going to potentially not going to be able to get the same kind of a deal if they feel like they have more leverage over you of like, well, you're not the same entity that you used to be. You're not doing the same numbers you used to be. So we're going to dictate the terms a little more than before. You don't you don't have us by the you know short hairs anymore mm-hmm. we're going to tell you what we what we want and so it would be foolish for them to just coast forever and think oh well we're gonna we're, we're making record profits like you always have people saying oh it doesn't even matter i'm not saying wwe saying this but you get a lot of outsiders saying well the quality of the product doesn't even matter anymore who cares like they're, they're just printing money it doesn't even matter. they're not even trying to great create strong storylines anymore or get new main eventers over who cares doesn't matter the rights fees are where it's at but if you keep coasting along that way, I mean, they're not going to want to do business with you anymore. You know, yeah. the more and more you seem like a lame duck and you seem like yesterday's news and you seem cold and nobody wants to watch your show and nobody wants to go to your events. Eventually, there comes a time where, you know, Fox doesn't want you on their network anymore and things like that. Um, so so I would say in the long term, that would be the kind of thing that they need to be very careful about, you know, because it doesn't last forever. I mean, sure, they're sitting on enough money to last until uh, the end of time at this point but uh if you it, it, you also don't want to wind up with your show on the same network as uh impact you know what i mean you yeah. got to be careful of things like that that's all you know yeah, Again, yeah. i'm no expert but that's you know where i so think. with 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 tv ratings what we see is is tv ratings have dropped you know every year for for raw raw is the most stable one to look at because smackdown's jumped around to all these different networks and time slots but if, if i look at just the rank and i think that's where where you can really assess the value is that these programs that that rank in like the top five or so on their day, especially if we're talking about the demo, or the top 10, those are really valuable. If you're dropping well below that where NXT has, you're not that valuable. And I don't think NXT is driving that much TV running for them at all. But if we look at, I've just got in front of me the, the median rank for you know, 18 to 49 for raw for each year from 2015 to, to this year. And it's, you know, in 2015, they were number three, in 2016, they were number four. In 2017, they were number three. Year after that, number three, number three, number four. And this year, it's number two. So their position among programming more generally is still pretty strong. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very subtle reality that I think, yes, this, this product has driven people off. This product has become less popular to consumers. Maybe it's become more valuable to businesses. Sure, that's where they're getting a lot of their money. But it's become less interesting to, to fans and it's driven people off. Uh, their, their TV ratings, I believe have genuinely declined over that time, five last five years or so, but it's still popular enough to be very valuable to NBC universal 
to Fox. I don't know if Fox is thrilled with the ratings or not. They're okay. They're still, you know, beating Shark Tank quite often uh, on Friday night, you know, versus you know Shark Tank on ABC. Um, so I think they're still in a in a good position unless unless that ranking for Raw and for for SmackDown, where they compare generally in TV, if that starts to slip, then their TV rights value is at risk. But I don't see it slipping. You know, I, as 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 much as I would like to say yes. They are, they are paying the price finally for putting on the bad product they put on for, for all these years. But that's not happening yet. Um, and I think they're going to be okay unless there's there's a larger bottom to fall out ahead. How, sorry, Al. I'm sorry. I was, was going to ask, how about uh, stuff like YouTube and all their huge uh, metrics on, on social media? And, and that's what you always hear from the defenders. And, and I think there's something to it because realistically on any given week, I'm, I'm watching raw, not sitting in front of my TV for three hours on Monday night, but watching highlights of it on YouTube as they're uploaded, which is, you know, a lot easier to, to digest. Is there something to that, that it, it's not so much that they've lost viewers as much as they've shifted over some portion of them shifted over to different ways uh, of, of consuming their TV product. And um, how, how valuable is that from a revenue standpoint? If, if they are doing these huge YouTube numbers, uh, does that make up for losing some uh, TV viewers? Not immediately. Uh, and people who are more cynical about social media than me would say that that stuff doesn't matter hardly at all. I mean, YouTube will make them 20 to $30 million in a year. And they're one of the most popular brands on YouTube for sure. Um, I, I think the notion that people are, which I believe they are, the notion that people are, they're watching it less on TV, they're watching it, they're checking out clips on social media or on YouTube. I think that's happening. I think part of why that's happening, A, because it's more convenient, yes, and B, younger people just tend to have more access and are, are more likely to use those forms of media than, than old traditional forms of media like TV. But also, do you want to spend your, your time uh, watching a product that maybe you want to be good, but isn't as good as you want it to be. Um, so I, th I think part of it is just about enthusiasm about the TV show. Uh, so it's making some money. And Nick Khan will say, well, we haven't lost eyeballs. He said this on a, an earnings call. We haven't lost eyeballs. It's just that linear eyeballs have somewhat become digital eyeballs. Um, I, I believe, though, that W has lost popularity over the last five years. And we can see that in a number of consumer metrics. Uh, but it's it's what, what's the value of social media and of YouTube to them? It's an investment in being able to cultivate a younger fan base. I think if they did not go hard into YouTube, into social media, they would be missing out on a big opportunity to to create younger fans who will become adult fans who will spend money in the future and in, and get their parents to spend money now. Um, and it's 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 marketing. It's it's a way to promote. I think you know. Everybody uses social media. Everybody has a smartphone for the most part, at least in the United States. And uh, it's a way to promote all of your other products and all of your other, whether it's whether it's your TV show that's coming up or whether it's the, the thing on Peacock or whether it's a live event coming up. Um, it's It has value that doesn't necessarily show up on on the on the earnings report and in yeah. the revenue lines. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to add something, Ryan? Yeah, I was just going to ask, you know, uh, the the numbers there, the rankings where you're saying now they're at two or they were at three before, are they being helped by the fact that TV viewership and ratings across the board have been sinking lower and lower? In other words, meaning that like a number two right now 
may not necessarily mean as many people as say a number four a few years ago. Like, is that kind of phenomenon helping them? Probably. I mean, I guess you could say if, if they're, they're ranking Raw's ranking is stable, you know, from yeah. 2000, maybe even further back than that, but at least 2015 to the present um, is the, I guess, is the competition just not as hard anymore? Probably. Um, probably. Yeah. Uh, what, what we see just to, to, to emphasize like how, how valuable wrestling is. If you, I remember I looked at, I think it was September on uh, the entire month of September. I took all the ratings that we can get from showbiz daily, which is everything that's original on cable and, and everything that's in prime time on broadcast. And if I took, I took away everything that was related to the NFL and college football and, uh, and maybe the NBA too, but the most, the most highly ranked programs in, in 18 and 49 that were left were things like, Walking Dead, Rick and Morty, and wrestling, AEW and WWE were among yeah. the most popular programs. When you strip away those those top live sports. Yeah, yeah. I mean, TV just isn't what, what it used to be. Um, a, a question for, for both of you, and I don't know if there's a way to quantify this or, or it's just gut, uh, but, but who do you think the biggest star in wrestling is right now? Is it Roman Reigns? Is it CM Punk? Is it somebody becky lynch i think in in wwe right now it's definitely roman reigns and i'm tempted to say that you know, I, I i feel like the two companies still have somewhat different audiences and i know like if you've been to live shows you, you can tell that you could feel that like the aew crowd is almost like a giant ecw arena crowd whereas the ww crowd is families and kids and things so i don't know how much overlap there is so like when i see somebody like okay cm punk that's a huge name brian danielson that's a huge name uh potentially both bigger names than roman reigns but i think because of WWE still being that massive machine that it is and still having that mainstream casual awareness that I feel is still stronger than AEW. I would have to lean towards Roman Reigns just because he still has that WWE machine behind him. Um, even though historically he may not be as big a name as some of the people AEW has. So that would be my convoluted answer. I would still say Roman Reigns is probably the biggest star in wrestling right now. It, it, Brandon, is, is there a, a quantifiable answer to this? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, well, Brandon. That's why we have <laughs> I I like to look at Google web search. And you can argue about whether whether that represents what we're talking about or not. But but Roman Reigns is by far the leader really? across either or really anybody in wrestling who's full time uh, for web search. You see Dwayne Johnson's way above him. But how does he compare to CM Punk? And how does he compare to John Cena when Cena was the top guy in WWE? Everybody is down from even a few years ago. So, yeah. so, so where Cena was, even where, where Reigns was a few years ago, is is way higher than where he is now. Really, um, that's interesting. Punk, because, uh, well, I mean, some of that's also I would think Reigns positioned as as a heel versus as a babyface some years ago, even as I, an ineffective babyface and a very effective heel. Are, aren't you going to be more of a draw just in being in web search? As no. In web search, I don't think it matters. And no. we've seen Reigns decline, with the exception of like some really big months where like he announced that he was dealing with leukemia. Right. Uh, you see, you see it decline, um, and I think everybody's kind of declined towards the present from roughly 2015 or so. I think WWE gained a lot of 
a lot of engagement from just launching the network and having all that content available to anybody, to everybody. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I think I think everybody's down. I think Reigns is by far the leader. I think he's in most months. I've been trying to check this monthly. He's like in, in most months, he's doubling the next nearest person. He's usually like Randy Orton or something. Um, and that's, and I think what what that's a reflection of is like just name recognition or name ID. I don't know if that means you're yeah. a star, but that's something. Um, Punk does not come close in most months. In the month that he returned in August, I think he, I think he came pretty close to Roman Reigns. He might have been number two. Is he um, the biggest star in AEW? CM Punk? Yes. Right? I mean, I, would I, think, say Jer- so. I think Jericho's pretty big. I think Kenny Omega, Young Bucks, uh, Brian yeah, Danielson. I think these guys who have in the WWE runs are, are less recognizable. That doesn't necessarily, necessarily mean that they're that much less valuable, but as far as name ID, or maybe I'm, I'm, I'm biased. I want, I want to talk about some data that I actually know mm-hmm. that, you know, Google web search, they're not near those people who have had this you know, WE run across all these, uh, all these media platforms. How about um, a, a, a Becky Lynch who, who felt for a period there, like she was the biggest star in all of wrestling. She's do, up do the there. Numbers back that up? She's up there, but she's not, um, not as high as as Roman Reigns uh, or, or even somebody like Randy Orton, I think. Really, wow. Um, but yeah, you know, if we're like thinking about star power, though, I th- I think it's remarkable that you have all these people who I believe are more are more recognizable to the general population in WWE just by virtue of having been on TV in front of larger audiences for a lot longer of a time. But when it comes to attendance. Even though, yeah, WWE is still running a lot more shows, so their total attendance, you add up all the attendance across all their shows up, they're selling a lot more tickets. But on a per event basis, even if we compare similar events to one another, like say compare the Dynamites to the Raws or the Dynamites to the Smackdowns, that average attendance is getting more and more similar, which I think is reflective of how fans, potential ticket buyers feel about the products. I think even though AEW draws a smaller audience, even in the demo most weeks, uh, except with the exception of two, the audience for, for Raw and SmackDown is still bigger. And certainly if, if you're talking about total viewership, it's far bigger. Um, but if we're talking about, you know, getting transportation down, down to the local venue and uh, shelling out at least $55 for a ticket, not, not to mention the expensive concessions, people are more willing to, or people, the same, a similar number of people are willing to do that for AEW as WWE, despite their disparity in in name ID and legacy. Yeah, WWE is still Xerox, Kleenex, right? I mean, they they oh, are the brand. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. I remember when they, when they were changing their name when I was working there from from to WWF to WWE. I turned out to be wrong, but I mean, like I I, I thought it was going to be a disaster. I thought it was going to be like New Coke, like you know what I mean, like taking yeah. this brand that everybody knows and loves and changing it like that. I, I was really, really worried about it. I was wrong, but it I took think, a long, long time though. I mean, I I'd say it was uh, still a good ten years. WWF. It's been twenty years, sure. and yeah. still, there's still people that call it the WWF. I mean, that's how strong that brand was. But but I just wanted to address the whole thing of. Um, you know, AEW kind of still having this ability to draw almost as much, if in some cases, even more live people than WWE does. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact, like I said, it's differing audiences like the WWE fan base by and large seems to be they are fans of WWE, whereas the fan base of AEW, they are fans of wrestling. 
You know what I mean? Like they have, they tend to have more of an awareness. This has been my experience of being at live shows and things. They have a more of awareness of other companies, other stars, what's going on in the business. They're more kind of like the, the hardcore kind of fan. And like, for example, I think if you went into a live audience at a WWE show and you polled a live audience at an AEW show, there would be far more people at the WWE show who had never heard of Kenny Omega than there would be of people at the AEW show who had never heard of Roman Reigns, which would be probably almost nobody. Right. If, if you had uh, Minoru Suzuki come out in a WWE show, the fans Correct. would not be able to sing along. <laughs> right. That's music. exactly what I mean. Yeah. That's exactly what I, it's just a different. That's what I, so those people, those fans, they're more willing to come out like they're more driven to come out like it, it, it's 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 their passion. It's how they identify themselves. I am a wrestling fan. This is what I do. It's it's, it's just a different kind of thing. Whereas that WWE, the people going to those live shows, it's almost like, you know, and again, like this is all anecdotal. But it's like it's like going to the circus. It's like going mm-hmm. to see Disney on ice or something with your kids. Like it's a different it's just a different kind of thing. And, and, and yeah. that's why that's why I think those numbers. What, one cool. little anecdote that I, I'm sure you've observed a million times, too, uh, is when you go to a show to house show and um, you're always near fans who are like, oh, where's the camera when when this is going to be on, <laughs> on, on 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 TV Monday night? Uh, and they're that level of casual that they don't really get that. They're, this is Right, uh, right. There are many people that I've encountered that have no awareness that WWE does shows that aren't on TV. And and like that, I've talked to people who have gone to some, like you said, who have been crushed because they're going like, what is happening here? You know, where's the stage? How come there's no promos? How (laughs) come like it looks so different on TV? (laughs) Right. Why are the matches so long? And you know, me, like I prefer to go to the house shows because that's where you you see the the wrestling show. The the highlight of of the show uh Sunday night, um, even with all uh the changes. And you know, they they have you know made an effort to increase production values at house shows where there is kind of a big screen now and a ramp and all that. But not the but same. for whatever no, but but for, for whatever reason the, the main event, which is a cage match with uh Edge versus Kevin Owens, great match. Um they shut off everything but the light uh on the ring. So it was uh, completely black Madison Square Garden and the ring lit uh, cage match. And it was fantastic. This was, it, wow. I was back wow. in, is back in like the, the, the eighties. I even took a nice little picture of it. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's that for, for a fan that's been watching as long as we have, um, that's got a special kind of uh, weight to it. Um, so yeah, this is all it's fascinating. I can talk about this uh, stuff all day. What was the other question I had uh, in, in terms of business? Oh, you, you brought up um, the, uh, the NIL, what do they call it? Next in line. Right. So yeah. Um, you know, on, on one hand, I think like with WCW 20 something years ago, uh, there's fans are kind of waiting to see. All right. So this is going to force them to be to pivot somehow to to change. And and in um, the 90s, that was the attitude era. You know, you think about WWE pre Monday Nitro and post Monday Nitro and what a revolution it was. And so I, I think uh, fans are kind of waiting because uh, AEW is real competition, uh, waiting to see what that that change is going to be, and I feel like we're already seeing it, right? And and we absolutely are seeing it uh, from NXT, and I think that change is to to some extent, and and they've done this really, you know, forever. But I, but I think more aggressively, they they are very much making it clear that we are not in the wrestling business, right? And 
we are done looking for the next indie darling. Uh, we don't care, you know, what's going on in the indie scene. We don't care who's got the best uh, reputation, the best resume coming out of Japan or coming out of Ring of Honor or anywhere else. Uh, we want a certain look and we want a certain level of athleticism and we'll find that and we'll teach them the rest. And, and that is NXT 2.0, right? That's the uh, the next in line deal. And that seems to be sort of this next iteration. You know, if, if, if you, you know, if, if you could break it up into sort of chapters and there was uh, um, the, the new generation and the attitude era and, and ruthless aggression, what have you, I feel like this is the, the latest iteration is very decidedly saying we are done with, um, again, wrestling uh, as you know it and, and uh, really kind of both feet planted in sports entertainment the look is what matters. We'll we'll teach them the rest. Yes, I can I can, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I can say that this is not a pen. This is a, this is an artistic <laughs> instrument, but it's still, <laughs> still for the most part. It can be that, but it, for the most part, I, I use it to write things. You know, uh, yeah. It's it's. I think there's an era too where you know it's, it's sort of the pendulum swinging, right? Like where you had the the, the first John Laurinaitis era where they went after. You know, there's supposedly an edict that they're only going to sign people who are over six foot three and two hundred sixty five pounds, and they're only going to sign women who are you know fitness models or something, or looks like they could, they could be in Playboy or something. And uh, and then by I, I think I can, I really noticed the difference shortly after the network launch in about December 2014 when when Kevin Owens and Finn Balor and, and Kenta what's, what was his name Hideo Itami debuted on on a takeover where uh, and and shortly after that. Paul Vec on media conference calls started started to say that he valued the indies and things like that after having yeah. you know less than a year prior said, said that you know we 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 care about those people less and less we have to reteach them our own playbook because they want to run their their playbook but um yeah and, and now that that vision I think that Vince was maybe tolerating despite the fact that he was getting wrestlers called up to the main roster that that he didn't like or that he thought couldn't get over or whatever uh so that that didn't. It, NXT didn't, first of all, it didn't beat AEW in the ratings. I think that was one, one goal that NXT was supposed to satisfy. It didn't do that. But secondly, I think you know, the, part of the argument for taking NXT off of the WWE Network and putting it onto the USA Network was that, hey, look, Raw and SmackDown are, are getting you know, enormous TV rights fees, 4 and $5 million per episode. Maybe we could grow NXT into a third version of that. And NXT had a two-year deal from September 2019 to September 2021. Uh, that deal was, was coming close to expiration uh, this, this past spring. They renegotiated a, a new deal. Uh, I don't think the first deal was worth much of anything. I mean, far less than something like $20 million at most. Uh, it, they got a new deal. We don't know any of the details about how much it was worth. And the stock price didn't uh, react at all. Uh, it was asked on the following earnings call if, if it was... if the new NXT deal should mean something different for profit. And Christina Salem, the CFO, basically said no. So NXT didn't turn into a big television property. And I think that's the point because you can, you can kind of time it. That press release comes out in March, April 15th. They, they cast off like 10 wrestlers. And then we have every two months or so another you know, 10 or 15 wrestlers getting, getting released. Uh, and then in September, NXT 2.0 happens. Uh, but yeah, it's... Uh, I don't think it's a good a good move for for WWE, but it's really hard to evaluate 
the value of, of the talent that they have, because I, I feel that their, their talent is used so ineffectively. Uh, you know, um, I think Vince has projected his taste as the market's taste and, uh, and, and everybody's going to have to live with that. I mean, if, if Vince is going to be an immovable object, which he is, then this makes more sense. Give him people that he'll, he'll like, and he'll push and he'll have more of a chance of using properly. And, uh, so, so, so give him those people. Uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of agree. And, and, and look, I, I think NXT is, is basically unwatchable now. Um, certainly compared to the, the, the product of Tony a couple of years Angelo. ago. Come on. He's not, <laughs> I, don't care I mean, it used to be the, the takeovers were the best shows of, of the year to me. Certainly pre, pre AEW, the, the best American wrestling shows um, on any given year were those years takeovers. You know, you'd have a SummerSlam weekend and the night before SummerSlam, they'd put on uh, a takeover and that show would always be the best show uh, of the weekend. And now um, it is what it is now, AEW. That said, and we've talked about this, Brian. I get it. I, I I understand why they're doing it. What's the point of uh, pushing a Kyle O'Reilly through the roof on NXT if you're never going to call him up? If Vince McMahon doesn't see anything him in him, um, it, it 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 makes sense as Brandon touched on. If the idea is three brands on equal footing, but if NXT is developmental, then then you have to feed the main rosters. And if there isn't that pipeline, then NXT doesn't really make uh, any sense. Um, th- that said, I mean, this sort of feels like, like I, I think, it again, I, I, I don't enjoy NXT at, at all anymore, uh, but I do think... Um, it, it remains to be seen whether this is working uh, and what's going to decide that is what the, the main roster and what WrestleMania looks like five years from now. I mean, if, if Braun Breaker is headlining WrestleMania and drawing huge crowds, um, then it worked, right? Yeah, I, I think part of what's been happening is uh, all the people being cut and that kind of thing. And it just seems like nobody's there's no communication no one's talking to anybody someone gets signed to a deal and then the next thing you know they're cut and that kind of thing i think a lot of that has been the result of this kind of like schizophrenia going on and the, the falling out of having the paul Levesque kind of thing and the vince mcmahon thing at odds with each other um and what so what i think a lot of it was that Vince, and I think Brandon used the word tolerating or somebody did, I think he was tolerating a lot of these people for a long time who may or may not have gotten over, who may or may not have been like somebody like an Aleister Black who people liked and he was around, he was getting new deals. It's very possible that Vince never liked these people from the beginning. So, And he was just sort of putting up with it. And then when the tide started to turn, he just went, you know what? I never liked any of these people. Let's get rid of them no matter what. And it just seemed like this sudden, bizarre move. I think that's part of it. I think there there was this weird, ambivalent view towards NXT even from the beginning because it has to do with those very different concepts of what pro wrestling is, what sports entertainment is. Now, I know for a fact from conversations I've had with him that Vince McMahon is not a fan at all of the Dave Meltzer kind of way of watching wrestling. Not at all. Like he told me flat out in these words that Andre the Giant versus Hulk Hogan is a way better match than Ricky Steamboat versus Randy Savage. That sums it all up in microcosm. What his and, and there are people that would agree with that, but that's his view in a nutshell. 
And so I think when you had these NXT shows that were better by the metric of work rate and people who watch indies and people who love Ring of Honor, they were better in, in Meltzer match ratings and things like that. In his eyes, they weren't better. And because they were being called that better, and he saw that, there was that famous moment that got talked about where he showed up he was introduced at the crowd in the crowd at an nxt show and the crowd starts chanting better than mania um he was furious because in his eyes it wasn't and the fact that it was getting that rub and it was getting that uh reputation almost made it worse for them it it it, it, it seemed to make him resent them even more and so now he's finally had his chance to gut it and do what he wants with it. And so I think now we're seeing the culmination of what now had turned out to be a huge multi-year uh, power struggle that was going on yeah. and has now been resolved. I think one day they're going to write books and documentaries about it, but that's yeah. what happened. Yeah. I, I think you just touched on something that really kind of tells the whole story and brings it a full circle. And and it is this sort of false choice of uh uh, work rate versus star power, right? And I I don't disagree that in a lot of ways, Andre versus Hulk was uh, the better match um, because it was the more important match. And I also sort of kind of the other part of the argument is I remember um, reading uh, uh, Meltzer's reviews for like the best matches of of any given year, some year years ago, and he gave five stars to. A match. I want to say it was a Ring of Honor match. I think it was Davy Richards versus Michael uh, Nigel Higgins. Well, Michael Hogan, that's it, right? Yeah. Uh, so this was what maybe ten years ago, something like that. Uh, and uh, a fine match without any kind of context. There wasn't a feud there. It was in front of three hundred fans in an armory in Orlando or something like that. And I thought this cannot be a five star match. You know, it, it just based on work rate. You know, otherwise, because that just makes it a dance. But there's no context here. Uh, why is this important? You know, I'll take Hogan and Andre versus that any day of the week, right? Uh, but again, it's sort of these false choices. When we've seen what happens when you marry them, right? When you have yeah. the the, the it, it's Steve Austin, right? I mean, uh, it's WrestleMania 17, Hulk Hogan versus Steve Austin, the two biggest stars in the world rock, who are rock, hugely rock. over with every everyone who could work, um, you know, and, and that's why it's sort of frustrating. Uh, I, Vince McMahon sort of saying like, well, let's get away from wrestling and let's get into uh, back into star power. And the reality is you can have both. Um, and but that also doesn't mean that his um, strategy now won't work. Uh, and, and this gets into the whole next in line thing, right? It, and, and, and Brandon, I'll ask you about this. I mean, is it certainly seems to make sense to create this pipeline, right? So where you're not depending on the indies and you're not constantly competing with an AEW or anybody else, but we know how we want them to work. We know the looks uh, we want. And different from the years of um, let's go after bodybuilders and bikini models. Let's go after collegiate athletes who we've seen with, with Kurt Angle and Ronda Rousey, people who um, didn't start off as wrestlers 
or uh, even, you know, have any kind of uh, uh, interest or, or tendency towards pro wrestling, but were natural athletes and premier athletes. And they excelled in their, they, they were great, great um, pro wrestlers. So this is all to say, can this work? Theoretically, yes. <laughs> I mean, even if you give, give, give Vince the talent that, that fits his ideal, though, I think he's still going to undermine them by virtue of the way that they do lots of other things in their product, you know, everything from his inability to, to make long-term plans and then actually execute them without changing his mind two or three times in between the, the moment that the plan is, is, is thought of and, and, and the moment that it's finally executed. I think that the way that the, the creative uh, is inauthentic in a lot of ways, everything from scripting to the, the language that they use to the way that they, they, they insist on doing commentary, the way that they use the camera. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think he misevaluates talent. This doing this with talent sort of tries to preempt that and give him the talent that he will be more likely to evaluate correctly. Um, but uh, I, I think they're still going to be severely limited because of the way that they and, and he insist on doing TV. Um, at the risk of dating when we're recording this podcast, I've got some, some breaking news relevant to this is that Tony storm has been released from WWE according really? to really wow. Yes. Wow. That's fascinating. So, so, and, and that is relevant to this, right? Because again, I, I remember being, uh, at, at the evolution pay-per-view, um, at uh, NASA Coliseum, the, the women's pay-per-view years ago. And Tony was as over as anybody. I mean, the crowd, and it was like lightning in a bottle. This girl looks great charisma can work i mean checks every every box uh but at the end of the day if vince mcmahon doesn't see something in in someone for whatever reason that's it you're doomed right yes i i don't know what he wouldn't have seen there's another one of those <laughs> yeah. i mean she even has the look that he that he loves uh yeah i, I don't know i mean there was a time when I mean, she seemed to have the biggest potential of, and I'm thinking of in the early May Young Classic days, of, of anybody, of any of, yeah. the, of the new women they were bringing, certainly as much as a Bianca Belair or a Rhea Ripley and people like that. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, another, it's another baffling one. Who knows? Maybe there's some backstage thing we don't know about. I don't know. It just That's a bizarre one. Wow. And, and another I, thing I was that, wondering why they were waiting so long to really pull the trigger on, on her. I don't they know. Had her, yeah, and they had her beat Charlotte, right, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, yeah. what, what's interesting also, too, is, is uh, and, and this is something that's sort of like unique to this uh, uh, time, is how WWE's business decisions and uh, potentially business foibles can help the competition because you you hear that something and now we, we dealt with this so many times in the last several months kyle o'reilly just last week but when whenever wwe uh lets go or or somebody's contract expires who is seen as an underused talent in wwe immediately the thought is how long before aw uh brings them on board and usually they do and it it all sort of serves to to bolster AEW, not just in terms of of improving their um, their their TV product, but bolstering that reputation of um, the uh, we're going to get it right where they got it wrong, right? So so now, I imagine there's a good chance Tony Storm goes over to AEW. Uh, at at some role, I don't know. At some point, I don't know if they got the payroll for all of this. I mean, you can't just hire every you know, uh, a WWE cast off who was underused there. Uh, 
but it it that sort of becomes AEW's playbook is um, you let them go, we pick them up, we book them the right way. Well, their women's division could certainly still use the help. I mean, it's it's gotten better, but it, there's still room for improvement there. Someone like that could be a good shot in the arm for sure. Yeah, yeah. And and Brandon, more and more, it seems like WWE doesn't really care uh, uh, as far as if they go over to AEW. I mean, it, it seems like, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a lot of reporting about that being the concern and, and talents that you wouldn't even expect to getting these huge contracts just to keep them away from AEW. And now they it 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 feels like and this goes back to I think what we were just talking about where they sort of want to get out of the the wrestling business uh, uh you know and maybe there's a better word but but they they don't care if you go and you take our our Daniel Bryan or our Tony Storm or Adam Cole or whoever that's not what we do anymore yeah Vince had a funny comment on the I think the most recent earnings call someone brought up that a lot of talent was moving I think Punk and Bryan were about to go over who had just gone and uh and vince had this line like perhaps we can give them some more something like that it was really <laughs> weird you know uh but no i think you know I'm, vince's view i i think is that he you know he can just create a new one you know he'll just make a fake yeah. diesel a fake razor ramon not literally but that, that i think that's reflective <laughs> of of his yeah. his view on on talent but i think there's there's definitely a they're they're more willing. They're def- definitely not in this mode that they were in a couple of years ago, where they were stockpiling talent. They would probably deny that they were, but they were stockpiling talent to keep them away from potential competitors, including AEW. And they're definitely not in that mode now. They still have a lot of wrestlers, but they still have a lot of brands that they need a lot of talent, you know, to, to fill that fill those brands up with talent. Uh, but no, I think they don't want to part of a part of what they're doing with with NILs. Like, let's go after a pool of talent that. That nobody else in wrestling is going after. You know, AEW is not recruiting people from the NCAA, and then we so we're we're going after that talent that there's not competition for among other wrestling organizations, and that and then we're going after less the wrestling talent, the established wrestling talent. So then we're not running up the price of, of talent that way, um, and we're getting talent that that will uh, that will 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 better satisfy Vince McMahon's ideals. Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Uh, all right, we've been. We- talking for a while here uh maybe one good thing to to end on here uh always fun to look ahead uh what are we december 29th all right basically at the end of the year this time next year um i'll ask you both where do you see both companies has wwe's uh new approach to cultivating talent um is is it working do are we seeing new faces on WWE uh, main roster that are over and are connecting and are drawing money. And um, as far as AEW, do, do they peak and maybe level off? And does WWE kind of reclaim, not that they ever lost it, but, but does it become clear who number one and number two uh, is, or does AEW just kind of uh, continue to, to increase uh, that lead, if that's what it is, and and AEW really establishes itself as as a, a number one in twenty twenty two. Me, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a, that's very hard to say. Um, I mean, it, it, I think it's easier to predict things for WWE than it would be for AEW, just because of that whole turning point thing I was mentioning. A turning point, by definition, right? I mean, it could turn either way. It looks like it's going one way right now. 
But with WWE, I feel like, yeah, a year from now, we'll, we should have a better idea of whether this new NXT and new approach to talent acquisition was a good idea or not, where it'll start to filter to the main roster. You may, you'll may you start to see some major call-ups of those people and see what kind of impact they could make or not. And so we'll know that sort of thing. Um, as far as um, AEW goes, I mean, yeah, it it's hard to say. I mean, if they're going to build on the momentum, if they're going to stagnate, I mean... I could have told you from the beginning that having CM Punk come out every week and do the same exact thing would not last forever and would get old fast. And having him in a series of matches that don't seem to make any sense with people that don't seem to have any chance of beating him without a storyline, uh, which now, thankfully, they're starting to correct, uh, was probably not the greatest strategy. So, I mean, there's always a chance that things could go sour. Things could flatten out. Things could stagnate. I mean, you never want to underestimate WWE as a competitor. They're, they're where they're at for a reason, right? They're the the apex predator, right? Yeah. And Randy and otherwise. But so, I mean, that's that's a big X factor. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's 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 likely. I don't think they're going to have the same kind. CM Punk is like a once in a, in a generation thing, that moment. I don't think you're going to have a moment like that short of John Cena showing up on their show in 2022. But I think they will build on the momentum. It, it will be a year of continued growth for them and they'll, they'll continue to challenge WWE. Uh, I don't think you're going to have a definitive answer by the end of the year as to whether or not, like, you know, they have a chance of getting that number one spot or not. I just think it's going to be a year of, of growth for them and continued kind of challenging of WWE. Yeah, Brandon, I want to give, send you the same question, but but also add to it, uh, kind of growing off of um, uh, what Brian was just talking about, who are going to be the top stars in either company at this time next year? And and it's interesting because it, in WWE's case, that doesn't seem to change much year in, year out. I mean, we're, we're heading into WrestleMania season, and who looks to be the big players? Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar. Uh, there's some new names there. Big, Big E wasn't in, in the mix uh, a year ago, and now he is. Bobby Lashley um, moved into that top tier in uh, 2022. Uh, Drew McIntyre last year um, kind of established himself as, as a top guy. So th- they have put some names up there that weren't there before, but by and large, there's this kind of inertia. Is, is there... Any thought that, that, that we're going to see some new faces as top draws in, in WWE uh, and, and also in AEW? I mean, that's, I think on, on Brian's point, uh, I, I don't expect, I don't think there is a lot more talent for AEW to acquire that'll have the shock fa- factor, but it feels like 2021 was the year where they brought them in and 2022 is maybe the year where we really kind of see what the direction is for them, whether it's, you know, this punk get the world title challenge for the world title this mjf move to that that top tier or sammy Guevara or or jungle boy that feels like to me what the story might be for aw in 2022 i i think we take aw first i, I think the the margin between w and aw across all different categories or whatever, if you want to call it popularity, we'll get a little bit closer. I mean, I don't think AEW is going to come super close or exceed WB in, in, in TV ratings or 18 to 49. I, th- I think AEW will probably beat WB in the same week 
1849, a handful of times in 2022. Um, I think, I think looking further ahead, the big change in, in the business is that both of these companies will make new TV deals in the US in 2023 that will mm-hmm. go into effect in 2024, probably. Um, and that's where their, at least US TV revenue is going to come a lot closer. W will still be well ahead, probably because they have a lot more content um, and, and AEW has less content. And WWE will probably still, like on a per hour basis, still be making more because they're just this older, more established brand that is at least doing comparable, if not better, in, in 1849. Um, but their, their, their revenue, and, and not just talking about the money that they have that, that Shad Khan is giving AEW, but their, their, their revenue that they generate will become closer. Um, but anyway, I, I, I think AEW will, will continue to become a more recognizable brand. As time goes on, I think the, the likelihood that AEW becomes a more popular wrestling brand just gets, it just gets better because they, they have a better ability to cultivate stars and to create television programs that, that people like. Um, I think WWE's domination of the wrestling space is is driven largely by the fact that they won the Monday Night War. WCW went out of business and they've been the major league, the, the big name brand in wrestling for 20 years. And during that time, they built up a tremendous legacy and a tremendous bank of, of name ID. And we see that manifested in things like YouTube views where I'm starting to, to look at the YouTube views of new content that, that's just posted in a given week versus what are the views for in that week the older content that's not posted in that week and, and like the new new content on youtube for what it's worth is a fairly small percentage it's it's a, it's, a, it's a minority of of the youtube viewing that happens on their channel um so they'll continue to be the dominant brand in 2022 maybe somebody from nxt 2.0 is called up who if only to validate his own decision making that that Vince pushes really hard. I mean, maybe that's Braun Breaker or something. Um, but it's going to be hard for for people in NXT to become really good wrestlers. I guess they could put them on the house show loop if they continue to do house shows. But I think a a, a big component to their de- talent development that I don't know what they're going to do is is are they going to start the, the the Florida loop up again? Can they start? Will will COVID allow or or, or what? because you've got all this talent that you want to develop and they don't have any wrestling experience beyond what they've done in, in your performance center for in large part. So where are they going to learn how to wrestle just on TV? That, that seems like a really yeah. small, you know, that's not a lot of time to develop the wrestling skills. It, it, it feels like a lot of what they're banking on is, is not even um, that they can train these wrestlers to be, the stars that they want, but that some of them will just get it on their own. Uh, whether and and a Braun Breaker has has shown an act, right? Uh, but how many of them can you find? And and he obviously comes from a family. Uh, he's had it in, in in his blood since he was born. Uh, but maybe that's a strategy: is let's let's just try to maximize our our chances of finding the next Kurt Angle and the next Ronda Rousey who don't need that much training, who just get it, you know? Um, so I don't know. I mean, and that's where I guess kind of the, the collegiate athlete uh, a part goes into it is let's, let's zero in on where we have the best likelihood to find um, 
you know, these people who just naturally uh, have talented or, or second generation stars, third generation stars. The problem uh, is not only is, is TV just not enough time to get people prepared because it's far less TV time than say like house shows when you're doing a full house show schedule, but it's also, that's not the place where you want to be working things out, like in front of everybody, in front of millions of people. And, you know, you, 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 you don't want that to be the impression that fans get that viewers get and seeing somebody develop and get better that that doesn't historically work they want people that are stars out of the gate that are fully formed that come on tv and look like they belong on tv you know i mean that that's what worked so well in the old system that wwe destroyed was that when you had people coming in from these other companies and these other territories they were seasoned they were tv ready from the word go from the first squash match they appeared on your tv they were clearly polished professional ready to go and um there the the goal should be to try to simulate that now instead of just saying well we're just going to work it all out on tv i i think that's that's one of the reasons why they need to come up with a better alternative to nxt you know where it's like somebody give them a chance to develop without being on national television you know like we've said yeah yeah it'd be interesting if they go back to something like an ohio valley or something where it's even a step below developmental you know um that that kind of first part of the pipeline so we'll see uh anyhow we guys we've been talking for like an hour and a half this has been a great uh, uh thanks so much both both of you uh for everything during the year here wrapping up 2021 it's been great working with you both brandon whenever we have on have you on it's a real pleasure you bring a wealth of knowledge where can people find your stuff uh, I do a podcast every weekend, every Sunday it comes out in your podcast app, WrestleNomics Radio. If you search for that, you'll find it uh, on, on YouTube every Thursday, Thursday afternoon at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. I do a live TV ratings talk, a live stream on YouTube talking about the ratings for the week. Uh, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, where for $5 a month, you can get, get access to all of my TV ratings reports that come out nearly every weekday. You also get access to a giant viewership spreadsheet that has all the viewership data for all the major wrestling programs going back to late 2014. Excellent. Great. And, uh, Brian, I, I know you got the book coming out, uh, in 2022, right. And, uh, yeah. yeah, blood and fire, the unbelievable real life story of wrestling's original chic, uh, it comes out April 12th. It's available for pre-order already. Some of the early reviews are starting to come out. Um, so you can go to Amazon and already put an order in. And um, if I'm allowed to plug it, which I think I am, my my, <laughs> own, my own new podcast is about ready to launch and go. Um, it's called Shut Up and Wrestle. And it's going to be part of the Arcadian Vanguard podcast network. So as soon as they give me the green light, which hopefully will be soon, Brian Last, it will be uh, debuting and people will be able to check it out. So it's going to be all focused on old school wrestling. So people that are fans of that, it's something that they might want to listen to. And I'll get I'll be getting some good guests. Excellent. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, looking forward to doing this again. Hope you both have a great new year and we will uh, talk in 2022. 